following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Hmm. Psalm 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Their early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful to be gathered together in this place this morning. And though this house belongs to you, this is not the house uh, that the psalmist is writing about. We look forward to your return. And when the day comes that we are brought together to be with you forever. Lord, we ask that your spirit will speak as we turn to your word this morning that our hearts would be open and our ears would be attentive to hear you speak. We love you, Lord, and we give you this time for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, we're returning to our study again in Second Timothy uh, chapter 2. We're going to look at pages 8 through, uh, verses, sorry, verse 8 through 13 which is page 9 and 9 to 5 in the Pew Bibles. I know that six verses is a lot for us, so I try to go slow. <laughs> in these verses, Paul expounds on his encouragement to Timothy uh, in verses 3 and 4 of this same chapter, where he says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So Paul uh, does a little exposition of his own words here. And in this statement, he encourages Timothy with three points and a poem. So now you know where that came from. It was Paul this whole time, a perfect sermon. So we look at, uh, we'll look at Paul's sermonette here, starting at verse 8. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, 
but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. May God's blessing be on his word. Um, in my experience, in uh, talking about ministry and ministers and uh, Paul and Timothy over the course of years, I think that uh, I think Timothy gets a gets kind of a bad rap. Oh, we talk a lot about him uh, here, but if you think about Timothy's reputation based on what is said about him in the Scripture, he's too young. People look down on him because he's just a kid. And what is he? What would he know? He described as kind of timid, afraid to to boldly take a stand, and he's got a weak stomach and take a little wine with your water because of your frequent ailments. He sounds kind of like a big baby. I don't know. And here we have the Apostle Paul writing to him to encourage him in the face of suffering. Like, suck it up, you pansy. Come on. The truth is, if we would examine our perspective on suffering and compare it to Timothy's and the suffering that he was, uh, he was enduring, I think it would change our, uh, that opinion. You may not hold that opinion, or you didn't before. But I think if we look at that suffering um, that Timothy was going through as opposed to what we go through, it would change our perspective quite a bit. So what does suffering look like for us? I think our definition of suffering is very different from what Paul had in mind here. Um, suffering for us is like when things don't go our way, right? Like, you know, we're, we're sick or, you know, I'm suffering uh, with a cold I've had for two weeks. Oh, I'm, uh, and don't pray for me. Uh, yes, alas, woe, all right? Maybe with things, things at work are hard. I'm, I'm just uh, suffering. You know, the other employees are a bunch of jerks and blah, blah, blah. No, we have trouble making ends meet. We can't seem to get ahead of our bills. Our tax return isn't what we imagined it would be. It's all suffering, right? We have trouble finding a pair of matching socks in the morning. This is a real suffering, everybody. This is. This is what suffering in our house is like. <laughs> I can't find matchy socks. Uh, now, now imagine the Apostle Paul. We talked about this before. What circumstances is he under when he's writing this letter? He's in a hole in the ground, right? An old cistern, a dank and dark hole waiting for his uh, death. And he's chained in the hole, as if being in the hole wasn't enough. And every time he moves, the clinking of the iron chains reminds him what suffering truly is. He was bound as an evildoer, he said. Um, 
And what evil was he doing? It was the best good anyone could ever do for anyone else. And that's trying to tell people about the good news that Jesus died for them. So when the suffering got real for Timothy, not just when he wasn't feeling all that great or was nervous or anxious about life, but when people turned on him for being devoted to Jesus, he would have this reminder from the Holy Spirit through Paul, this perfect sermon, three encouragements from the past, the present, and the future, and then a poem. That's the way it should be. So I want to look at these three encouragements uh, and ruin a perfectly good three-point sermon. (laughs) The the encouragement from the past is found in verse 8. Paul says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. What's the encouragement here? Paul challenges Timothy to remember Jesus. Well, yeah. It's not, um, it's not that he had forgotten, and this isn't a, a remember like don't forget to pick up milk on your way home from work. It's a, uh, it was a reminder, just bring to your remembrance something you already know, someone you already know. He's not just uh, looking back fondly. Hey, remember Jesus? Yeah, he was great. You know, he said, it's more than that. Paul points him back. Paul points Timothy back to the person of Jesus to, re- to remind Timothy of God's ability to accomplish his will, regardless of circumstances. Sometimes in spite of circumstances and sometimes through circumstances that maybe we wouldn't have written out for ourselves. Maybe Timothy didn't think it would go that way either. It's interesting to me that Paul writes Jesus Christ in verse 8 and then Christ Jesus in verse 10. Does he forget what Jesus' last name is? I don't think so. Just in case you were wondering, Christ is not Jesus' last name. Um, if uh, it went by last name, it would have been Bar-Joseph, not Christ. Christ, his title as Messiah. So when he says Jesus Christ in verse 8 rather than Christ Jesus, he does that on purpose, not just, I forget which one comes first. Is it Christ? or I don't know. He did this on purpose. When he says Christ Jesus in verse 10, he is referring to the office that Jesus holds as Messiah, as the Christ, the anointed one, the promised one, the promised Messiah. And when he writes Jesus Christ, he's bringing attention to the person of Jesus, the one who is the Christ. Now remember him, not just remember the office of Messiah, which Jesus holds, but remember the person of Jesus. So in Paul writes, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. He's reminding Timothy and us how God worked in the person of Jesus, how he preserved the bloodline of King David all the way from David to Mary um, so that Jesus would have the proper lineage according to prophecy. Now, if Mary was not uh, related to King David, prophecy would be wrong. And that's not good. Because once you get one wrong, they're all wrong. 
A prophet is only a prophet until he's wrong or she's wrong. And then it doesn't count anymore. So of all the prophecies of Jesus, this one was very important, as they all were. Over 700 prophecies in the Old Testament all came true in Jesus. It's also important that that prophecy uh, is fulfilled because it points to the fact that Jesus was fully human. He's a fully man. He's not part man, part God. He's fully man and fully God. That's very important. He's pointing to how God raised him from the dead because he was fully God and death could not hold him. And that the sins that he bore on the cross were not his, but ours. Our penalty is permanent, and he paid it for us. But death could not hold him because he is good. It reminds Timothy and us that Jesus is who he said he is. And he did what he said he would do. And he continues to do what he said he would do to this very day, even to this very hour. How often do we need this reminder? I can't speak for you. I can't only speak for myself. I need this reminder all the time. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Timothy, bring him to mind. Don't forget. Don't get so busy. Don't get so wrapped up in your mission for him that you forget that he's there. Do we do that? I'll do that. I No, look, I've got to write sermons. I can't just hang out with Jesus all the time. Come on. i got things to do and places to be, right? We all do that. I think we're all guilty in that. He says, don't, don't forget. Call him to mind. Recall what he did. Think about him. Think about his words. Think about his life. Think about his death and resurrection. Don't get so caught up. In your current circumstances, however hard they might be or however joyous they might be, that you just march on through life as if he doesn't really exist. Now, let's be honest. This is so easy to do. No time to read, no time to pray, no time to stop and think. We've got places to go and people to see, things to do. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Son of David. Hmm. Remember who he is. Not who he was, who he is. And what he did. That's an encouragement from the past that doesn't really stay in the past. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. This is a very encouraging phrase, I think. This is an encouragement from the present. Paul says, remember who Jesus is and what he did. And now, here in the present, Paul's chains could not hold the gospel. That's what the people were trying to do to Paul. Just stop. Will you just, can you just stop, please? You're, you're, you're screwing up everything. We've got it down. Stop messing around with the way things are. In the past, the grave couldn't hold Jesus. In the present, no chains can bind the word of God. So where is Paul? 
The Mamertine prison, right? Hole in the ground, right? An empty well. Chained up as an evildoer for doing the best good anyone could ever do. Telling people how to know Jesus and be saved. How to be forgiven. But Paul knew that no chain, no prison, no hole in the ground could stop the gospel from spreading. It's like uh, whack-a-mole. It, that thing comes up in one hole and you whack it, but it just comes up in another hole someplace else. This is <laughs> crude, but it's exactly how it's working here. They're like, well, if we just can shut up Paul, bam, knock him on the head. And that's kind of, well, traditionally, that's pretty much what happened. But it did not stop the gospel, right? He's down in a hole. He pops up, whack, right? They could not stop the gospel from spreading. Evil people have been trying for 2,000 years, and here we are still. It may not have been Paul doing the preaching, but what was happening was exactly what Paul had instructed Timothy to do back in verse 2, when he says, And what ye have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. That's what Paul had done. That's what Jesus had done. That's what uh, his disciples had done. So you snuff out one, and there's a whole bunch more. Persecution has done nothing to snuff out the church. It has done nothing to stop the expansion of the gospel. From day one, from the very first persecution of the church, it has done nothing but advance the gospel all over the world, and it continues to do so. When the disciples of Jesus were first persecuted after Stephen was martyred in Acts chapter 7, you can read about that, what did they do? They fled. They run away from Jerusalem. That's where the persecution is. That's like a couple thousand people, right? And they run away from Jerusalem. And what do they bring with them? They bring the gospel, Right? And they scattered all over the region and brought the gospel with them. And you can see how that expansion continued uh, in the book of Acts. No matter how terrible the consequences were for those who preached it, the gospel has never been bound. Paul's encouragement to Timothy was that no matter how dire his present circumstances were, the gospel would continue to spread. In the past, the grave couldn't hold Jesus. In the present, no chains can halt the gospel. No persecution can stop God's word from spreading. And in the future, nothing can stop the eternal triumph of the church in Christ Jesus. Verse 10 says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. You ever wonder why Paul kept going? You ever wonder why Paul kept preaching and teaching and encouraging others to preach and teach? You ever wonder why we are challenged to spread the gospel in our circles of influence ourselves? It's because people are worth saving. There are scores of people who want to help others to ease their suffering or better their lives in some way. 
but showing people that there is more to this life, more than this life, is doing the highest good that anyone could do for another. There is no good in being warm and well-fed while you're on your way to hell. We can forget that. Remember Psalm 84? How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways of Zion. This is the eternal destiny of the believer. For those who trust in Jesus, whose sins are forgiven, their home, our home, is beyond this world. Knowing that this is what we have to look forward to in the future should encourage us to endure any hardship, any suffering that this world has to offer. Because we know that this is not our home. We are transient beings. And if we truly want to help people in this world, we must do all we can to show them the way to the next through faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul encouraged Timothy with thoughts about the past and the present and the future. But the poem kind of spoils it. The poem is more of a warning than an encouragement. Verse 11 says, The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, he will, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Now, I've seen a lot of poetry. There are couplets here. Uh, there's uh, two things that uh, are in comparison, and there's four sets of couplets. The first couplet of the poem pictures our rebirth when we come to faith. We die to ourselves, and we're raised to new life as a new creature, to live forever with Christ our Lord. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. I said, picture of baptism, right? There's a symbol of being buried, our old, our old life, our old man being buried and dead and gone and then raised as something new, something different. If we die with him, we will live with him. The second couplet of the poem reminds us that there are rewards for those that endure whose faith remains sure no matter how great the persecution and suffering, that we will reign with him in his eternal kingdom. Well, that sounded pretty good. I'm not sure so much about the reigning part. I'm, I'm, honestly, I don't know exactly what that means. But we will be with him on his, and sit on his throne with him in his eternal kingdom if we endure. If we don't say, you know what, this is too hard. I just can't do this anymore. I can't 
you know, nobody wants to listen, and I can't think of the right words to say anyway, so I'm just not going to. I'm just not going to do it anymore. If we endure, we will also reign with him. I don't like that if. I don't know about you. The third couplet continues the warning. Jesus said in Matthew 10.33, Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. And also in Mark 8.38, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. That doesn't sound very good. The fear of man and the fear of persecution will drive many people away from the faith. But the word could not be any more clear. If we deny him, he also will deny us. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't find myself often in that situation like Peter outside Jesus trial and the servant girl says, hey, aren't you, you're one of his buddies, aren't you? No, 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 no. I don't know. No, nope, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that guy. Does that happen to you? People are like, hey, don't you know Jesus? And you're like, no. No? I bet you're wrong. Sometimes the way we act speaks a lot louder than our words. When we act as if we don't know Jesus, we are doing this very thing. I don't like this, but it's the truth. What we believe is not what we say we believe. What we believe is what we do. Does our life deny our faith? This important question for us to wrestle with. It's important answer for us to have. Now, we're not perfect and nobody's going to get it all right. God's grace is sufficient for us. That doesn't mean we don't bear responsibility. Our behavior must match what we say we believe. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And the fourth couplet, which has been mistakenly taken as a comfort. <laughs> Sorry, but it's not good news. If we are faithless, faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Oh, well, phew, man. Hey, you know, we're not very good at being faithful, right, if we're honest. So, but it says he remains faithful, so, okay, we're good. Nope. Sorry, that's not what he means. Don't be fooled. Don't read this saying. As, or don't read this as saying, if we are faithless to him, he will remain faithful to us. That's not what it says. It does not mean that at all. In fact, it means exactly the opposite. It says, if we are faithless to him, he remains faithful to him. For he cannot deny himself. It is good news that God will never go back on his promises. And we are often comforted by God's promises, right? We think about God's mercy new every morning. 
wonderful promises in the Word of God that are encouraging to us. But I will remind you that God does not make empty threats either. All God makes is promises. He cannot deny himself. So when he says in Deuteronomy 7, 9 through 10, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations and repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. He will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. This also a promise of God. Paul reminded Timothy that Jesus suffered and died but rose again never to taste death. And God's promise is the same for us through faith in Jesus Christ. That our suffering, like Jesus' suffering, is temporary, no matter how we define it, if it's not matching socks or people killing you for your faith. It's still temporary. Pain is temporary. And even death is temporary for the believer in Jesus Christ. And they are all worth enduring so that people can hear the good news that Jesus loves them and died for them. To hear that Jesus rose from the grave to give eternal life to those who have faith in him. A resurrection life, a splendor that will last forever. Denial of self, trust in the Savior, service to others, faithfulness to the end, even in the face of persecution and death. That is the life of those who are called to faith in Jesus Christ. This should define our lives as well. Let's make that our aim and goal. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, um, this uh, this a little challenging. <laughs> Maybe a little more challenge than we were looking for this morning. But we thank you that you remain faithful, that you do not deny yourself, and you will fulfill your promises. I thank you for the promise that those who have faith in you will live forever with you in your kingdom. We thank you for that great promise. And we thank you for the challenge that you have left the work to us to share that wonderful promise with those around us. That Jesus died for them, for all of us. And by turning to him in faith, we receive forgiveness and a place at your table in eternity. Thank you, Lord, for the warning that the life you have called us to live is not the same as everyone else, but a life of faithfulness to you. That's a challenge to us. Lord, I pray that you would lead us all step by step in your way, learning what it is to be a disciple of Jesus to live a life of faithfulness to you so that what we do matches what we say we believe. We want to live for you. 
but we need your help to do it. So we pray for your help. We ask that the Holy Spirit would direct our steps, guard our mouths, guard our hearts, that you would be our sun and shield. We love you, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.